Good morning, Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. Whether you are live streaming or whether you are live at our Moss campus, I'm the pastor here, and we are in week three of this series that is called Happily Ever After, all about uh, four weeks, all about changing pretty weddings into beautiful marriages. And we've introduced every Sunday, Sunday by giving you all kind of a window into some of your pastoral leaders at Good Shepherd and what their marriages look like from the inside out. And today, week three of the series, it's called That Fighting Spirit. And if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to find in your Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. You can either open up your Bible that looks like this or scroll there on your phone, or the words will be up on the screen, as you'll see in just a moment at just the right time. And and, uh, today's message is going to begin a little bit differently than most messages do. So uh, I want to go ahead and and pray for this message and and pray for you as you uh, hear it and experience it. Pray for me as I deliver it. So let's pray. So God, thank you for the good news that I am powerless without you. And the better news that because of you, I'm not helpless. So give today on me and on everyone who experiences this message together a fresh pouring out of all the goodness and all the joy and all the truth of the Holy Spirit today. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I mentioned that we're going to begin a little bit differently today because all four messages in this series, Happily Ever After, have come from the same section of Genesis chapter 2. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to read it out loud and together, this section from Genesis chapter two. And because we at Good Shepherd, you may not believe this yet, but, but we do. We at Good Shepherd, we really do that, believe that the biblical library is inspired and eternal and true. Out of sort of respect and reverence for the word, would you rise on your feet as you are able, as we read these inspired words out loud and together? And also just to make sure that we're all reading from kind of the same translation and same wording. It was all written in Hebrew originally, but some of the English translations have slight differences. Just read off what we put up on the screen, all right? And Genesis chapter two, verse 18 starts this way. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Hallelujah and amen. And you can have a seat. 
And we have been digging into this really remarkable story for, for three weeks now, and we're going to come back to it next week, which means four straight weeks of excavating the truth of, of these words so that we can celebrate them together. And, and, and we've really been dialing in to this kind, of, uh, this kind of remarkable verse in verse 24, where God says this, that's why a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's just, it's this amazing story because in the same story, we get majestic God who is so intimately and tenderly involved in the very first couple in, in the human race, the very first marriage in human existence. But you know what is, what, what is interesting is that in all that time of reading this story, and, and, and this may surprise you, but getting ready for this series, this is not the first time I've ever read this in the Bible. And all that time of reading the story and all my time of believing in what we at Good Shepherd call C-I-E, which means context is everything. It's our way of saying that you can't really understand what any section of the Bible is talking about unless you understand what came before it and what follows it. Context really is everything. And get this, get this. Also, my awareness for years and years and years, and I don't, know if you, I don't know if you knew this, but it's true, that chapters and verses were added much, much later to the biblical books. That the, like, like the author of Genesis chapter two, he didn't write and write and write, and then he got to the end of chapter two, verse 25, where it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And he's like, whoo, glad I finished that time for a coffee break. You readers go take a coffee break as well. And we'll come back to Genesis chapter three, verse one. It's a whole new deal. That's not the way it went at all. The church added chapters and verses hundreds of years later to make the Bible easier to read. But sometimes by making it easier to read, we kind of missed what the author was really doing. Because in this case, the author, he writes seamlessly and he writes brilliantly and he moves immediately, immediately from Genesis chapter two, verse 25 to Genesis chapter three, verse one with no pause and no stop at all. And in all my awareness of that and all my times reading that, I had never ever once pondered, well, what does the meaning of, what are the words in Genesis three, one, how do they influence this marvelous story I just read? Because what does Genesis chapter three, verse one say? Take a look. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Oh my goodness. This author is a genius. And I'm a little bit of an idiot for never seeing it before. Can I hear an amen for th this author is, is a genius because he crafts this story. He tells us this delicate story of the first couple and the first surgery and God the father gives away the first bride and there is the first wedding ceremony and all of it is good and all of it is peaceful and all of it is as God designed. And then seemingly out of nowhere, these words, now the serpent if there was a soundtrack to Genesis, the music would be going dun, dun, dun. Because it's the author's way of letting anyone who's paying attention know marriage is under attack from the beginning. 
long time ago. The enemy's first strategy to ruin the human race and to ruin human relationships is to get at the very first institution that God ever created, which is the institution of marriage. So marriage is under attack. It's it's, It's hiding, it's been hiding in plain sight in the opening chapters of Genesis for years and years and years. For a long time, I was too dense to see it, but now it is there unmistakably for anyone with eyes to see and anyone with ears to hear. Marriage from the beginning, it's under assault. You know this, you've seen this. Now you you may be on the fence about whether or not you believe in a literal Satan. I'm not on the fence, by the way. I do believe that he's real and that he's active. But even if you're on, even if you're not with me on that, you know, because you see it, because it's obvious, marriage is under assault. Some of you, it was the marriage that you grew up in, and you look in your rearview mirror of your life, you know, yeah, that marriage is under attack. Others of you, it's the marriage you got out of, yeah, that marriage is under attack. And for some of you who aren't yet married, that's why you're still single because you've seen what happens to marriages and you don't want any part of it. And then for a lot of you who are married today, you're like, yeah, married, it's under, some of you went through it this morning because we all know that getting a family ready to come to church in the morning is the least religious thing that a family can possibly do. Don't, don't we know that? And that's true even if you live stream, that, that puts your religion to the test, trying to tune in to a, a church on a Sunday morning. And maybe, maybe you're like that couple and they were having a, a fight and, and, and the, the, their strategy in the fight was to give each other the silent treatment and so neither one of them wanted to speak first because if you speak first, you lose the fight. And, and so they went to bed and the husband needed to get up very early, needed his wife to get up, up about 5 a.m. the next morning so that he wouldn't miss a flight. And he, but he didn't want to lose the fight. So he wrote her a note. I need to get up at 5 a.m. Please wake me up so I make my flight. And he put it on her dresser. The next morning he got up at seven with a start. And he missed his flight and he was furious and he was about to go get mad at his wife for not waking him up when he stopped by his dresser and there on his dresser was a note that said, it's 5 a.m., rise and shine. (laughs) You're welcome for that bit of strategy, yes. Yeah, marriage, it's under attack. It's under assault. It's why some of you, again, who are married this morning, you, you, your, your marriage is just kind of characterized by this continual conflict. You're at different places, vastly different places when it comes to religion or when it comes to politics or when it comes to Taylor Swift. You're in all these different places. You have this habit of taking little things and turning them into big things. Small things, magnifying into, into them into major things. And the things that you found so charming when you were dating, now you find infuriating now that you're married. The things that wooed you then repel you now. Now marriage is under assault and you know what I'm saying. And, and, and it's not just your marriage, it's marriage that's under assault. 
You see this all around, don't you? I think about those friend groups that I know, circles of friends, and I've seen this happen more than once where, where they're just kind of a circle of friends, usually of the same gender, and, and those become very safe spaces to rail against your mate, to magnify the conflict going on in marriage. And pretty soon, everybody in that same circle of friends, hello, is newly single. Well, I wonder how that happened. Or that billboard down in Rock Hill on 77 and you drive past that billboard and it says, life is short, get a divorce. And underneath those provocative words, what do you find? An ad for a divorce attorney, of course. Yeah, marriage is under assault, the institution of marriage is under assault. And, and in addition to all of that, we see the ways that all the cool kids, all the cool kids in media and entertainment and academics just dismiss marriage. It's just a piece of paper. It's just a relic from an earlier era. Or even the way, all the, the way all those same folks have redefined and reimagined what marriage is all about so that it's no longer about God's original design and it's now been redefined to involve two people regardless of gender and, and coming soon to a theater near you, marriage is gonna be for human beings regardless of number. Yeah, throuples. That means, if you're like, well, what's a throuple? It's three people are applying for marriage licenses in our land. Don't tell me there's not a slippery slope. Marriage is under assault and marriage is under attack. And some of you know it personally and some of you know it culturally, but all of us know that it all got started. It's been this way from the beginning. There was the first couple, there was the first wedding, there's the first blessing and immediately the serpent was more crafty and he still remains just that way. And so the question becomes, well, how, how do we, how, how do we who, who live, wanna live happily ever after and, and, and whether we're single and thinking about marriage in the future or single again and trying to heal from what we've just been through or maybe you're a married couple and not sure what your future holds. What can we glean and in per, from, from these words in Genesis chapter two? And in particular, what can we glean from this marvelous outline that Genesis chapter two, verse 24 gives us? Take a look at it again. It says this, and that is why. And you're like, what is why? All the firsts, first institution, first surgery, first wedding. God gives away the first bride because he's such a good God. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother. And we looked at that last week and we saw the first word is leave. And that if you wanna stay strong, you gotta leave well. And then the second word, leaves his father and mother, cleaves unto his wife. That's so thoughtful of the Bible to rhyme like that. Leave and cleave, didn't rhyme in the Hebrew, by the way. Leave and cleave. And, and you're like, well, what, what is cleave? And cleave is like glue. Cleave is super glue. But it's not the kind of super glue that, that happens when a fly 
bumps up against some fly paper, zap, and that fly is stuck against his will and the glue is so strong the fly cannot get away. That's not what cleaving glue is. Cleaving glue is instead not something that's passive, something that happens to you. It's active. It's actually aggressive. It is this aggressive adhesion to another person in the middle of all the forces that are trying to drive you away. Uh, Really, what, what cleaving does is it turns fighting on its head. Because the serpent wants us fighting in our marriages and, and cleaving. When you understand what it says, leave your father and mother, cleave unto its wife. Then you really see what's going on and you really have some hope. And, and here's, here's what I want you to know. It's this, fight for your marriage more than you fight with your mate. That's how you live out this leaving, cleaving unto his wife, cleaving unto her husband, that you fight for your marriage more than you fight with your mate. And some of you are like, but I really like fighting with my mate. It's what we do. It's our modus operandi. It's, it's how we get along. We, we've, we've even learned how to fight fair. No, you haven't. You've just learned how to believe your own lies. Because all of us have a choice. You you can either give that serpent more authority than he has and more power than he deserves, or you can wake up to what's really going on in your life and in your marriage and in the larger culture, and you, by the power of Jesus within you, you can say, enough of that. I'm gonna fight for my marriage because I now know forces are all around me trying to tear my marriage apart. It's been that way from the beginning. I'm gonna fight for my marriage more than I fight with my mate. Because here's what I know. When, When there is pressure from beyond that leads to mutiny within, like, do you know what has happened to so many churches in the, in the era of pandemic, when there's been all these forces lined up again, you know, you, you can't meet and then you gotta barely meet and then, okay, you can meet, now you can't meet again. And all these forces lined up against church life. Do, do you know what has happened? I've been stunned to see it, is churches have split. Pastors have been fired. Pastors have bolted. Oppositional churches have started, even in our area, this has happened. Now, don't worry. No one has started Better Shepherd Church. Yeah, that, that hasn't. I've, I've given someone else an idea and that's, I'm going to see it all over Facebook next week. No, but, but all, and every time I see it, I'm like, really? Do you not see what's going on? That because there's so much pressure and because there's so much stress from the outside, you turn on the easiest target, which is the person right in front of you. Well, what's true of churches is true of marriages that people, because there's so many forces, they, they, they think they're really mad at their mate. Actually, they're mad at their parents. They're mad at their history. They're mad at their job. They're mad at their culture. They're, they're becoming tools of Satan. And so you turn on the easiest target. And today, I just want you to wake up to what's really going on and, and resolve, ah, I need to, fight for, I need to name the battle that's going on and I need to fight for my marriage more than I fight with my mate. And speaking of fighting these battles, do you, do you know when battles are won? Like military battles? They're won in the planning. 
The one in the preparation, no one wins a military battle by winging it. Generals win their battles by planning for it. And in the same way, those of you who are married, you ought to have a battle plan for how it is that you will navigate the storms that are coming your way, the forces that would assault your marriage. And Julie and I have been married for 37 years. And as I look back on it, we didn't, we didn't know this. We didn't have a plan. But as I look back in my rearview mirror, I'm like, ah, that's why 37 years later, we'll, we're still together. We still like each other. We still love each other. And, and here's just our battle plan as I look, look at it in the rearview mirror of life. Number one, the first thing that we did from the first week of being married, we tithed 10% tithing. Now, when we were 22, 10% of nothing is nothing, but we tithed. And we, we have been able to increase that through the years and it's now well more than that 10%. But here's, here's the deal. So many couples, they have fights in marriage based on money. And there's no better way to counteract that than to acknowledge at the very beginning, my money is not my own. And the more we give, the more we realize you never miss what was never yours. Second thing, part of our battle plan is that I don't get in a car alone with a woman who's neither my wife or our daughter. I, I, I just don't. It's also known as preacher job security. Okay. But, but, but I just don't. And it's, and it's so interesting that rule over the, over the last couple of years, it's kind of been sneered upon. Like how unsophisticated are you? And, and I'm like, well, I'm pretty unsophisticated then. Because the best way to avoid problems is not to, or rumors, is not to get near them in the first place. And then the third part of our battle plan is that we don't involve in-laws in marital issues. In all, in all the years, Julie's never gone to her mom and said, well, you're not gonna believe what he did now. Probably wanted to, but she didn't. And I never asked my dad. I said, dad, she's a strong-willed woman. What do I do? Hadn't done that either. Because when you do that, as tempting as it is, as much as your parents probably want you to do it, that creates unhealthy alliances rather than a healthy unity. So those, are, or those are, have been our battle plans. Again, we didn't march into battle with that as, as, those, as our marching orders ahead of time. We were graced into it by God's goodness, and your list may not be the same, I just encourage you to make a list because your marriage really is under assault, whether you know it or not, and you wanna be fighting for your marriage more than you fight with your mate. And, and it all brings uh, to mind this marvelously counterintuitive definition of a wedding ceremony that a woman named Elizabeth Elliot put together. Listen to this, we're gonna put it up on the screen as well. There is birth of a new relationship at a wedding and most of all of the focus is on that truth. But the wedding ceremony also marks the death of independent thinking, the death of selfish pursuits and the death of unilateral decisions. The birth of a marriage must be accompanied by the death of such thinking and behaviors or it will bring certain death to the new relationship. A wedding is less than truthful if the couple is not called on to bury self on the same day they commit themselves to one another. Now, 
I've presided at a lot of weddings in my time. I've never used that language, but I should. Fight for your marriage more than you fight with your mate. And by the way, this won't surprise you or shock you, but all this goes to explain why I personally, I really support those people in our day who do in fact fight for marriage as it was originally designed by God. And, and in our area, it's not what the, uh, our era, that's not what the cool kids are doing. And, and especially in this season of, of same gender marriage, it, it's apparently on the wrong side of history. But I'd rather be on the wrong side of history and the right side of the gospel every time. And I'd rather surrender my desire for popularity to God's design for marriage because his design is good. And marriage is his idea to begin with. And what a privilege we have to live into it. Fight for your marriage more than you fight with your maid. And some of you are like, okay, okay, I'm with you. It sounds nice. It's, it's, it's even a little bit clever. And I, and I appreciate that you stand for traditional marriage, Talbot. I, I appreciate that. But, but woo, you've never seen my marriage. You haven't been behind my closed doors. You haven't heard all my fighting. Where in the world, we like our fighting. Where in the world are the resources for that and the good news is that Genesis chapter three, just a little bit later in these same inspired words, Genesis three drops the subtlest hints of where the power comes from. Look what verses 14 and 15 of Genesis chapter three says, check it out. So the Lord God, this is after the man and the woman have eaten the fruit. It doesn't say apple, by the way. They've eaten the fruit and they've fallen. They're gonna be uh, cast out of the garden. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, meaning her offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his Heal, And there at the very beginning of the biblical story, we have just the subtlest of hints, the briefest of foreshadows of the mission of the Messiah, what Jesus would ultimately do. And we know that because inspired Paul in the book of Romans gives us an interpretation that we might otherwise miss. Look what he says in Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So, so that which, which gets hinted at in Genesis 3 gets, gets lived into when Jesus is on the cross. And I want you to know, Good Shepherd, that that's where your power comes from to fight for your marriage more than you fight with your mate. Jesus crucified, Jesus resurrected, Jesus reigning, Jesus returning. He is crushing and will crush Satan under his feet. In fact, Satan was defeated for all time on the cross. And we're just waiting for Jesus's return in glory to make that defeat public and to make it permanent. And in the meantime, in the meantime, you, you men, you can cleave to your wife and, and you women, you can cleave to your husband. Why? Because Jesus clings to you in all of his beautiful battle, bloody garb.
fight for your marriage more than you fight with your mate because Jesus is the one fighting in you and through you. Let's pray. So God, we thank you that we don't do this on our own. We thank you that at the name of Jesus, every knee really will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that he will be Lord of the troubled marriages within the sound of my voice. I pray that he will be Lord of those recovering from a marriage that didn't make it. I pray that he will be Lord of those thinking about marriage in their future. And that with open eyes and sober judgment, all of us would realize the remarkable value of fighting for more marriages more than we fight with those we love. In your name and for your sake, we pray. Amen.